Yeah, the God who loves us and adores us. Praise his name. Have a seat, if you would. Welcome to Radiant Church this morning. We are so, so glad that you're here, especially if you're new with us. Uh, thank you for being here and being a part of this thing we do called church that has been going on for over 2,000 years. And today uh, is a Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, you're like, okay, okay, what do you mean? I, no, I'm not confused. I know it's not Easter, right, which is the Resurrection uh, Sunday. But today, we get to witness and celebrate a different kind of resurrection and revival today. And I'll get to that in a bit. I'll get to that in a bit, okay? But I want to begin today by talking about 2,000 years ago. 2,000 year, years ago, the historic fact of Jesus' crucifixion took place. And this event, when he was crucified on a, on a Roman cross, this devastated his followers at the time, many of whom for this, this his death, his, his defeat, is signified just one more false Messiah, breaking their promises and not proving to be the people that they said that they were. And so for the followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, after he died, there was fear. There was hiding, locked doors, despair, you can imagine. They'd put their hope in something that wasn't real in their minds. There was no Christianity after Jesus' death. It was defeated. It was done. It was kaput. But there was a group of women, and they went to Jesus' tomb anyway after he was crucified and killed, as was the custom. And we read about this in the Gospel of Luke. There was a physician named Luke, and he, he took it upon himself to write an account of everything that took place with Jesus' life. And in Luke 24, this is what he recalls happened. This is what happened after. It says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the, woman the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? That's an interesting question, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? And, and the short answer to that question for these women is that they weren't looking for the living, they were looking for the dead. They were looking for the crucified Jesus. You see, people who are crucified... They, they die, and, and people who enter into tombs stay in tombs. In other words, dead people stay dead. At least that's how it typically works. That's how it typically works in our day here today, right? And by the way, that's, that's also how it worked 2,000 years ago when this was all penned. People who were dead, they typically stayed dead. It worked the same way, but... These supernatural entities that gleamed like lightning said these next words to these confused women. Words that would impact the world in a way that had greater significance than any other words. He is not here, they said. He is risen. Amen. He is risen. This was their message, as Luke recalls. He is risen. And so naturally, you can imagine when the, when the women told the other followers of Jesus that Jesus didn't actually stay dead, you know, like folks normally do, it says they did not believe the women because, quote, 
their words seemed to them like nonsense. It seemed like nonsense to them. I mean, how could it not? But then something happened. Rumors began to circulate. News was beginning to spread that people had actually seen Jesus after the crucifixion. That they had actually talked to him, interchanged. Hope that the impossible had become true was beginning to spread like wildfire. wildfire. To quote from Pastor Jason's book, the Christian faith began on a cross, but it exploded into existence with the resurrection. Jesus would go on to appear to Mary and the women, and he would appear many times to all of the disciples. Even 500 people he would appear to in the ancient Near East here in the first century, all saying the same thing. And the disciples would eventually go to their deaths, go to their deaths because they refused to recant that they had seen the risen Lord. Significant, significant, all except one. They were amazed by this news. And then Jesus did something interesting. Jesus even cooked breakfast for his friends. It's true. After he resurrected, came back from the grave, he does a simple act of love like cooking his friends breakfast. It's a simple act of love that he demonstrated to them after the most profound act of love he demonstrated for all of us on the cross. If Jesus had stayed dead, stayed in the tomb like people normally do, there would be no Christianity. There wouldn't be any Christianity. There'd be no church service today. Most of us would be perfect strangers passing each other in the grocery store. In fact, the Apostle Paul, another person, by the way, who saw Jesus alive, reminds us that if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our faith is totally silly and completely useless. This is from the Bible. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. In other words, it's useless. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied, it says. In other words, if none of this is true, he didn't actually come back from the dead, then we're still lost, we're still in our sins, there's, there's no real hope for humanity, and worse than that, um, we're, the, we're the ridiculous group of people, these Christians, we're, as believers, we're this ridiculous group of, of people that believe in fairy tales. And so we are to be most pitied, like, what a sad bunch, right? <laughs> if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, all of this is just a waste of time. If he didn't come back from the dead, we are to be most pitied. First Corinthians, the next verse is what Paul writes, but... God, you gotta love, you gotta love this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Indeed, he has been raised from the dead. He didn't stay dead, he's alive. And his death and resurrection have radical implications for every single person in this room here and now today. Therefore, for those who believe in the fact that he is no longer dead, we are no longer still in our sins. You see, his his death accomplished a work. There was a purpose behind him dying. Colossians 2 puts it this way. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to a cross. In other words, the sins we committed, the people we hurt, the ways we harmed our own bodies, the way we harm our own minds, others, the way we harm 
the people in the earth and whatever around us, all of that incurs a debt against a holy God who is all good and righteous. And Jesus was the only one who could take that debt away. He would take our sins away so we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. And as an added bonus, we now get to be reconnected back to God. Because of the cross, God is no longer just some like cosmic entity way out there in the stars, but, but scripture says that Christ, the spirit of the living God, now lives and dwells inside of us. Scripture calls the spirit the living water, as in we can drink it, and it dwells within us, and it changes us, and we never have to thirst again for all of eternity. That's the promise of the risen Savior. One day at a water well, uh, Jesus would tell this woman she was shamed and she was condemned. She was feeling low. And, and he would tell her that she doesn't have to carry along the condemning guilt and the death that she had been anymore. That the resurrection of Jesus proved that he conquered death once and for all. And so if Jesus can be raised, church, so can we. And it's in this power that we can now be fruitful to live in this upside-down sort of kingdom that he ushered in. As believers, we worship, quote, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. In other words, God takes things that were not alive and he brings them to life. God takes things that were dead and he breathes new life into them. Scripture reminds us that each and every one of us were once dust, nothingness. And the Spirit of the living God breathed into all of us. So today, we get to witness something else that was dead. Something else that is coming back alive today. Like I said, today is a sort of resurrection Sunday of a different kind because today we get to celebrate a marriage that was once dead, but now is being brought back to new life before our very eyes today. Today, Radiant Church, we are having a marriage ceremony for our brothers and sisters in Christ, our dear friends, Justin and Valerie Morgan. Yes, praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen and amen. This is unusual for us. We don't typically do this, but Almost like the older father said to, or the father said to the older son and the prodigal son, we had to celebrate because this thing was lost and now it's found. And so we're celebrating today as a spiritual family today. So again, if you're, if you're new with us, just wandering in Radiant, thank you for being here. Um, we trust you're going to be glad that you came. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to hit the ground running and we're going to celebrate this reunion that only God could piece back together. Amen, church? Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for this resurrection life that each of us can have through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And Lord, we also thank you now for the resurrection of a marriage that was once dead. To you be all the glory. And so, Lord, we consecrate this space over to you. Make it holy and pure, Lord, as we celebrate your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Justin and Valerie, your story up until this point, let's face it, has not been easy. It's not been easy. It's no secret that a dissolved marriage almost always involves confusion and 
pain and there's loss and there's hurt. But as you've walked that hard road, you've also seen God's grace throughout it. You've seen your church family rally around you, helping with moving and providing support, even aiding financially at times, and most importantly, spending hours and hours in prayer for both of you over your family, over your relationship. The journey leading up to this point has been filled with new mercies, as Scripture says, new compassions from God. You've been given a second chance. That's something every believer is familiar with. And we're so, so happy for you both. I hope you know that. We love you. I mentioned before that your, your story hasn't been easy, uh, but it also hasn't been normal. And I have data to prove and back that statement up. Uh, a professor at California State University studied over 1,000 reunited couples from around the world. And check this out. Only about 6% said they married, divorced, and remarried the same person. 6%. You already knew this, but you guys are really special. You're very special. But, but what's even more interesting is that of those 6% of those couples who reunited with the same partner, those couples had a much higher chance of succeeding than a typical marriage, let alone the fact that typically your chances go down with your second and third marriage of it succeeding. But when you remarry the same partner, your chances go way up. Isn't that amazing? Why is this the case? There are likely many factors to this, of course, but I believe one reason is that when a couple chooses to follow the biblical path of reconciliation after experiencing a painful separation, it forces you to learn a critical God-given ability. What am I talking about? I'm talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. One of Jesus' disciples once asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? As if that were a ton. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Marriages succeed only when couples forgive over and over again, as many times as it takes. You too wouldn't be standing here today without first receiving God's forgiveness and then forgiving one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And so, as many of us know, forgiveness does not come easy because forgiveness always comes at a cost, does it not? It costs something. It costs our pride and our demands to be right and our want to be justified and vindicated, all of that. And you've both taken the hard road and repented to God and one another. You've read books and devotionals. You've sought wise counsel. You've spent hours and hours discussing your relationship. You've prayed over and over and over again. You've prayed and humbled yourself, and you've determined what's most important. You've done the hard work of marriage. And through your past hardships and your continued efforts, you're learning invaluable lessons that will propel you into this next season of life. And guys, just from my heart, I'm so proud of you for that. I mean that. In Ephesians, Paul points to Jesus' sacrificial love for his bride, the church. He conveys that the goal of this kind of giving love is to sanctify her, to, quote, present her to himself to be holy and blameless. Justin and Valerie, you've come back together because you're now choosing to see who the other is becoming in Christ, right? 
And God is going to use each of you to help shape the other into that picture of holiness. You've learned now that the primary goal of marriage is not social status, reaching my goals, or even having stability. It's not primarily for my romantic or emotional happiness, as our culture would have us believe. Christian marriage is about forgiving, serving, giving, and sacrificing. All so that we can point to Jesus' love for the church. Guys, it's bigger than any of us. It's about God. I told Justin and Valerie um, a few times, actually, that today isn't actually about them at all. Which is, I'm sure, something every bride wants to hear on their wedding day. So, (laughs) sorry about that. (laughs) But today is actually about what God is doing in them and through them. And what he will continue to do in their redemptive story. The pain you've endured will be redeemed. It will be healed. And then it will be used, it will be used to save marriages beginning with your own. Today is a testimony of the healing redemption that we have in Christ. May we not lose sight of that. That's a huge, huge miracle. The couple behind me has chosen this wooden arbor, which is beautifully adorned and well-made. And it's a symbol and a reminder that you two will each always have your individuality, but you each are like, are like legs on this arbor behind me. But as you grow closer to God, as you grow closer to him, you two will both come closer and closer to one another. But as you grow closer to one another, you know this, you'll continue to see each other's weaknesses, you'll see each other's faults, you'll see each other's darkest sins. However, the beauty of marriage is not that it only has the power to reveal those weaknesses and faults, but it also possesses the power of unconditional loving commitment so Christ can mature us in those areas of weakness. That's what you guys offer each other. The late Reverend Tim Keller wrote it this way, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet so wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted by Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The power of this kind of love, you two, will heal wounds and allow growth, and it will sanctify you both to become holy with one another. Each of us in this room here today, if you can hear me, ought to remember that the purpose of marriage is not for self, but it's to help make each other holy through truth and love, so that you may be presented before God blameless. So, Justin, keep showing love to Valerie. Keep surprising her with the little things. Go on adventures with her. In those moments where her free spirit takes you to like really uncomfortable places, just roll with it. Just join in. You'll be fine, right? A little adventure is okay here and there. Valerie, for you, keep showing love and patience to Justin. Remember, his wise and prudent personality is actually a gift. It's not a restraint. Lift him up with fun and levity in this gloomy world. To you both, keep enjoying movies together. Lead your children well. Keep serving your church together. No, seriously, keep, keep serving your church together. This, this church, like, no, I mean that. Keep doing that, okay? Look, whatever you do, Just keep serving one another so that the world can see Jesus. 
And may this new commitment drive your love for one another. Because you, you both may be in the abnormal 6%, but with God's grace, your chances now are better than ever. So may this renewed marriage be a testimony for everyone around you, showing God's amazing grace, forgiveness, and love for us all. Amen.